Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 319 of the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for biodynamic farming, and today we will be talking about how you can apply these principles to your home garden, why you might want to seek out biodynamically grown produce, and so, so much more. Today's guest episode is recorded in person, which is always super fun, makes for a much more organic interview, if you will. And today we are talking to Tammy Katner from Hamilton Pool Farm and Vineyard. Yes, this is a really fantastic episode. Uh, I first met Tammy when Stella went to farm school back in the first summer of the bad season when I was seeking out some place for her to play in nature where she could connect, not have to mask, and really for her to start to continue to foster a curiosity in nature. And uh, from there, we started my own garden beds, and now we're launching into my gardens and orchards where Tammy is growing my starts in biodynamic principles and um, is going to consult with me on my project. So uh, really excited to have her here today and to pick her brain on all things. She's also an herbalist, so we'll be talking about herbal infusions. You may have heard her name back uh, about 20 episodes ago or more when we did a wrap up from the women's wellness workshop back in March of 2022. And she led us on an organic farm tour and uh, taught uh, all of our uh, participants about herbal infusions. We did a nettle and oat pod infusion and sipped on the nutritive tonic and everyone got to try it. So uh, she's just a wealth of knowledge and really wonderful person and can't wait to learn from her further today. Uh, if this is your kind of thing, um, meaning uh, plant medicine and farming and agriculture, you might want to check out the following episodes, 208 Wild Fed with Daniel Vitalis. 217 Beyond Labels with Joel Solitin and Dr. Sina McCullough, uh, and then 307 more recently, How Soil Impacts Your Health with Alan Williams. Um, this episode is airing the week of Thanksgiving, so happy Thanksgiving. Y'all can enjoy sitting down for a lighter listen today. We will have tons of resources in the show notes for you, um, and definitely things to start to conjure up as you're thinking of maybe not your fall garden as you're listening to this, but gardening in the spring. new year. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. spring season. Um, also a call to action for those of you that are listening to this live real time. Thank you, first off, for being a subscriber to the Naturally Nourished podcast because you probably got your update and that's why you're on here so timely and good for you because you get to take advantage of our Black Friday deals. So go on over and make sure that you're subscribed to the Naturally Nourished newsletter over at AllieMillerRD.com. 
When you subscribe to our newsletter as a first subscriber, you will get a free meal plan with food as medicine and functional medicine information in there, as well as a two-week meal plan. And you get weekly emails uh, that wrap up every Monday podcast and always have important links and resources. Um, Sometimes they'll have action items for you to apply from the learnings of that week's episode. And then often we'll have a Thursday or Friday email. Once a month, we do a supplement flash sale. And then we also will push you an update if we've released a new YouTube video with some of the important content that we're sharing on there. Um, And newsletter subscribers always get first dibs on any promotions and discounts. Um, So sometimes we do big flash promotions on labs or supplement products. And definitely jump on now because we'll start pushing out on Wednesday already, just two days from when you're listening to this, our Black Friday discounts and all of the big savings that we're offering, which will be our biggest discounts for the entire year. Yes. I will put a link in the show notes where you can easily go ahead and do that. Before we bring Tammy on, let's just have a brief word from our new sponsor, Peak State Coffee. Yes. So we met the owners of Peak State Coffee at KetoCon this summer, and I just fell in love with their product. Um, As y'all have probably followed with my journey of breaking up with coffee and healing my adrenals, I've really moved heavily to be more of a tea or a matcha drinker, but I just love the ritual of coffee. And Brady Miller, my husband, is a big coffee drinker, and so it kind of feels a little bit dissociative to have two different beverages going in the morning. (laughs) And when I found out about Pete's Peak State and I tried their coffee, I was super stoked uh, because they provide health benefits. They use the whole coffee bean and they infuse adaptogenic mushrooms to aid to balance stress, support gut health and immune function, as well as boost your brain as a nootropic all the while keeping the taste of real coffee that you love. So this is not a like pre-ground product that you open up a satchel and dump into uh, simmering water. This is real coffee beans that you get to grind at home. And so they have this beautiful process where they actually use tinctures after the roasting process so that you know that these nootropic medicinal mushrooms are not added to the coffee and being denatured by heat. Um, They're going to be providing you 500 milligrams of the mushroom blends per serving and the coffee is a smooth delicious chemical-free mold-free non-gmo low acid bean so that was also super key to me because i'm both sensitive to that jitter element of coffee and when we add in things like lion's mane which works on our nervous system and reishi for immune and chaga as adaptogenic properties That helps to both support overall foundational health in the body and create less of that jitter, but then the quality of the bean itself having lower acidity is also a really great way to ensure that the coffee is tolerated even for people that maybe didn't do so well with coffee in the first place. So now I get to enjoy my fat boosted coffee. And you know, when you add things like grass fed butter or coconut oil or ghee to this, you're only further enhancing that bioavailability of the nootropics or the powers of those medicinal mushrooms. Um, So I get to do that. I get to maybe um, have a little bit of that cognitive clarity without though that dynamic shakiness or unfavorable effect of just black coffee. Um, so go on over to peakstatecoffee.com slash Allie Miller RD. That's a unique link just for podcast listeners. That's P-E-A-K-S-T-A-T-E 
C-O-F-F-E-E dot com peak state coffee slash Allie Miller RD. And you can use the code Allie Miller RD at checkout. You will save 20% off your order and get free shipping on two bags or more. This would be a really cool thing to throw into a stocking stuffer for a college student or for a coworker or maybe your best friend or your partner. Go on over to peakstatecoffee.com slash Allie Miller RD and use the code Allie Miller RD at checkout to get 20% off your order and free shipping if you get two bags or more. So you too can enjoy drinking coffee with actually added health benefits, not that spike and crash of energy, and also knowing that you're tonifying your immune system and aiding to your body's resilience while getting that cognitive clarity. All right, I'll read Tammy's bio and we'll bring her on the show. Tammy Katner has always had a deep love and passion for the natural world. Growing up in Southern California, she would spend as much time outdoors as possible, often frequenting the beach, mountains, Yosemite National Park, and developing a strong desire to live off the land. Connection to the wild has always been her compass. Tammy holds a BA in social science with an emphasis in environmentalism, a teaching degree, and a master's in education. She has over 20 plus years working within the holistic health arena, including nutrition, fitness, teaching, rewilding, nature immersion, herbalism, and regenerative and biodynamic-based farming. All of these elements have brought her to building her dream at Hamilton Pool Farms, where she has co-created a regenerative permaculture and biodynamic farm with a farm school and education program that connects over hundreds of students with gardening, food sourcing, sustainability, and nature skills. Tammy is a mother of five children who have always been her inspiration for a more natural world. She enjoys beekeeping, her apiary at the farm, loving on her sweet golden doodle farm dog, and connecting with nature as she develops the farm culture while teaching a more sustainable and natural way of living. Welcome, Tammy, to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, it's going to be a wonderful conversation. We had such a fabulous time at our women's wellness workshop Mm -hmm. with you touring us around Hamilton pool, farm, and vineyard, and tasting herbal infusions, and talking all about the biodynamic gardening that you guys are doing. So we knew that you'd be an awesome resource to share with our audience. Yes, thank you for having me. And that was that was such a lovely retreat. I wish I could have stayed for the whole time. <laughs> Next time we'll get you dancing and doing oh, all the yeah, stuff. It totally. was fun. Yeah. It was fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want to kind of share with our audience. You know, we just a couple weeks ago did an episode with a sixth generation farmer all about soil health mm-hmm. uh, and dug deep into that. We've had Joel Salatin on here. We've had what other um, uh, Daniel Vitalis with Wild mm-hmm. Fed. But truly, although we've talked about regenerative agriculture and we've talked a lot about the importance of ruminants to sequester carbon in the soil, we have not dug much into the concept of biodynamic farming. So I first learned about biodynamic farming back in 2006. Uh, Brady at that time was farming on a 350-acre organic farm in Washington, Full Circle Farm. And uh, it was an interesting model because they grew really rapidly. And it was a pretty unsustainable model at that time, but yet they were the first CSA to bring fresh produce to Alaska. So a lot of cool things coming from that pocket of Washington. And when we talked about our visions of 
how we want to do it someday when we have the money to buy land and we can, you know, kind of create this vision board. We learned about the concept of biodynamic farming on a movie, The Real Dirt on Farmer John, um, Angelic Organics. I don't know if you're familiar with them. It's an Illinois farm. It was a documentary out in 2005. Um, and I was just really um, interested in this concept and at the same time happened to have a roommate who had a Waldorf education background from like kinder to eighth grade and so jumped into the works of Rudolf Steiner. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know very little still and I would love for you to just share with our audience um, you know, a little bit about who he is and his works and um, the premise or the concept of biodynamic farming. Yeah, so Rudolf Steiner is amazing. He's created so many beautiful things, like you mentioned, the education system. Um, this is around the 1920s, and um, he actually so like a lot of his credit now is to the schools, the Waldorf mm-hmm. schools through education. But farming is where his his like specialty was and his passion. And really, like in our modern brains now, in this time period, I would say biodynamics really blends the um, the science with the esoteric. Mm-hmm. with how our brains are now. But when you really start to look at what biodynamics is, it's, it's ancient stuff. It's what cultures around the world have been doing for a very, very long time. And um, really what kind of sparked his um, movement, so to speak, in like publishing articles and getting it out there was this was post-World War One. And one thing about wars that we don't really learn in history in the school is the cultural ramifications on things like farming and our health and just culture in general Mm -hmm. you know and so post-world war one you have a lot of like chemical warfare warfare you have technology this is post-industrial revolution as well and so machines are starting to replace doing things by hand and and when you start to do that you lose connection Mm -hmm. with the natural ways and um so basically in a nutshell what biodynamics is is following the patterns of the moon it, it's it's really the saying is as above so below you're connecting all of that together which i think when we hear that nowadays it can sound very esoteric right mm-hmm. like what are you talking about heavy um, woo heavy <laughs> woo yeah <laughs> but i mean people have followed the pattern of the moon forever mm-hmm. and the sky forever and when you really look into astrology i mean it's math and science there's it's yes. that and then there's you know there's a woo but um so we know that the earth goes through the zodiacs in a whole year right Mm -hmm. passes through all of them well the moon goes around the earth and it passes through all the zodiacs in a month in a lunar cycle and so every time it's passing through one of those zodiacs it has an energetic effect and we all know that the moon pulls the tides and pulls water you know and pregnant women know when there's a full moon and you can go to a hospital and the nurses on around a full moon they're like extra prepared so you know we're still connected to this yes this is always how people have farmed. And so then you take like the elements. So your zodiac signs, there's there's water, earth, fire. You know, we know we know all of those. So as it's passing through those signs, so when it's like a water sign that the moon is passing through, it has an influence on the earth. And so you're going to then do stuff with the leaves of plants. And it's just going to help the processes. You're gonna get better germination, better growth, less problems, less diseases, when you're using the elements, the natural forces that already exist. So that's that's one of it, one part of biodynamics in a nutshell. Um, and the way that we use biodynamics is we have, there's 
I should have brought the books, but there's these beautiful almanacs and calendars that you can follow. So like every day it tells you like transplant day, seed day, and, and all these different things to do. So we follow that as much as possible. We're also a market farm. So some, mm-hmm. and it's also Texas. So it's yes. like, mm-hmm. is rain coming? Yes. We're going to get seeds in the ground. You know, sometimes you got to just yeah. deal with yep. what you got, but <laughs> it really helps guide to get the best yield sure. out of things. And so that you have to use less inputs mm-hmm. less labor less time and it really makes a difference because it's really hot right now and it's been really dry but when you come out to our farm it's really lush mm-hmm. and it's green and um you know we attribute that to our farming practices and unfortunately there are a lot of farms around this area right now that are kind of like we're gonna wait we're just gonna let this go we'll come back in the fall and not to say that they're not farming as well either but I'm really seeing the results of some of the biodynamic stuff that we're doing that's contributing to that. I love it. And Mm -hmm. I think that there's a beautiful element. It feels like, Becky, this, well, ever since the bad season, a lot of our podcasts come back to this, like, taking the human ego or that uh, surrender, I guess, of me being in control to something Mm -hmm. greater, you know, Mm -hmm. this release to God, nature, or this this greater connector, if you will. And there has to be some peace uh, because it is laborious practice, farming and gardening, mm-hmm. to surrender to something greater, right? You're kind of managed by a schedule already if you're if you're surrendering to those cycles, I suppose, yeah. in some yeah. sense. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's talk a little bit about um, some of the amendments and the mm-hmm. rituals that go into those elements of the biodynamics. Yeah, so there we don't make the preps ourselves. That's something we'll definitely want to do later, but it's so beautiful to learn how they're made you're basically there's nine different type of preps there are herbs or you know elements you can use cow manure and there's also silica and they are placed in either the horn of a cow or the bladder of a stag there's a whole different energy to that and this is something that like you know back in the day when people used animals and plants simultaneously just natural regenerative agriculture you they they didn't have the books to tell them anything about the science of the horns of the cow they just knew because they connected with them right and they could just watch them but the horns of a cow are basically antennas mm-hmm. and they're spiraled in nature and also um cows that have had calves they they grow these rings on them so again it's spiraling out even more and so i think ideally there's so many um kind of spectrum within biodynamics too you've got your hardcore like follow every rule and Mm -hmm. then more relaxed but I think most preps are made from the horns of a dairy cow because Mm -hmm. it's just giving more of that energy and there's you know the the female cow with a calf is just going to be a little bit more in tune a little more alert um so you know animals unlike humans we're animals but we our brains allow us to know that we have life and death like we know at some point we're going to die Mm -hmm. (laughs) a cow does not know that and so a cow lives every day of its life feeling the world through these antennas and relating with the food and everything around it. And so just the energy in that is pretty powerful. So when a cow is eating, there's a relationship with the gases released from the whole process. It actually goes up into the horns and it's like going out into the world and it's it's almost like communicating, okay, where's the next grass? It's just this beautiful thing and it comes back in. And so when you have the horn of a cow, it's holding this this life energy force. And so you're making these preps and you're putting them in there because you want that energy. You mm-hmm. want that kind of going out energy. And then, um, then you bury it. And it's often buried for six months. 
and then you take it out and you just have this beautiful it just looks like compost right it's beautiful it's rich it smells like compost and there's not a lot of it i mean a horn isn't very big Mm -hmm. but it's so concentrated and then so we purchase these preps and they come in just like a little baggie just a little bit and then there's a dilution process and this is where ritual comes in this is beautiful because i don't know if you guys have ever had anyone on the talk about water and like restructuring water or know anything about that we've just done a podcast on rainwater well water municipal tap water and toxicity you know that kind of stuff but no (laughs) yeah it's another mind-blowing kind of down the rabbit hole yeah just the structure of water yeah and how we truly like when we drink water we're irrigating our body but when we drink structured alive water we're hydrating right and that also goes to the food we eat and all that but um so the process is you take this prep it's you know it looks like just a little chunk of compost you stick it in a big bucket you put as best water as you can in there so we use a five gallon um, Home Depot bucket and then you're stirring it. You're creating a vortex, you're creating a spiral and you do it for a whole hour. And that's under a certain <clears throat> time of the moon too, right? Or, yeah. okay. Yeah. So all these what preps cycles? are associated okay. with, like if you're using silica, silica is going to help with the, the up part, like the, the growing out. Whereas you, if you use cow manure, um, you're really going to be want, working deeper in the soil with like structure. roots or just like rebuilding soil. Okay. So yeah, there's all this timing and it's it's really beautiful but the ritual with the stirring is you know it's a whole hour and you're just creating this vortex and then you spin the the other way and what's happening is it's kind of like making tea excuse me um you want all the the herbs to be in there right you don't want any sticking out you want them all to get mixed into the water there's that but there's also restructuring of the water when it starts spiraling because mm-hmm. every live water in nature, if you were to look at it, which now science allows us to, super duper up close, it's always in a spiral form, even though it's just like barely trickling. And so that's how it structures. So that's what we make. And then we have this big giant like cup of tea, basically, or five gallons worth <laughs> of tea. <laughs> and we get these brooms made of natural fibers and we just create rain. You dip it in there and you're just kind of tossing it all mm-hmm. around your property. Cool. Mm-hmm. It's so cool. And, um, you know, and there's all these different preps like valerian is one that mm-hmm. we use and valerian creates warmth. Mm-hmm. Um, they go very, very deep, just like all herbs do, you know, like mm-hmm. you learn about an herb and it does like 200 things. Right. Like, it's a nervine. It's yeah. a, yeah. Yeah. Does yeah. it calm? It's in our common clear. Does it make chill plants? Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, it does like, I mean, our body is no different than the earth and the soil, sure. mm-hmm. right? And so the parallels are, are beautiful. It brings it full circle, which just makes me so happy. So when we do these, we're just walking around the property, just kind of making rain off of the, these natural fiber bristles and, it's so little, but a lot goes, you know, goes a long way mm-hmm. and it kind of creates an energy field, if you will. Awesome. So yeah. It's beautiful. <laughs> do you do that ritual with your family? Do you keep it really intimate? Like, do you involve your children and your mm. husband in that? Or do you have staff help with that? Or is there like yeah. a pre-ritual ritual? Of yeah. Drum circle or uh, singing? Yes. <laughs> both. Prayer. Both. So, um, you know, I, I don't want to take all the credit for all this biodynamic stuff. I have an amazing farm team and Bridget Kelly is our biodynamic guru so you actually have more time studying biodynamics than I have but 
you know, that's a beautiful thing about owning a business. You surround your people, you surround yourself with people that know more than you, exactly. that all mm-hmm. these things keep you inspired. And she's fabulous. So she's a Waldorf garden teacher. So she's our bi- biodynamic lady. So her and I, we do the preps at the farm where we're stirring together and taking turns because it's tiring. You got to yeah. like, yeah. like, yeah, from after outside. 30 seconds, you're like, pass. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking I could get still on like, right, a right. minute shift every yep. now yep. and then. Yep. <laughs> Probably looks pretty witchy with the brooms and everything from the outside, totally. but sounds yeah. super amazing. Yeah. And yeah. cool and definitely connected. if anyone was driving by they'd be like what, what are they doing <laughs> and now they're gonna drive be like what is happening because it's so green and lush mm-hmm. and everything yeah. else so doing something right yeah but we did a i did do a couple rituals with my family um there is a three kings prep that you do on new year's eve actually and it's frankincense myrrh and gold and um, that one was beautiful because I was the only one that I was like, heck yeah, I won't yeah. party on New Year's. I'll stay up right. doing this like, yeah. you know, beautiful thing. And um, the my young kids were already asleep. So my oldest son, who's 20, was visiting. And he he's like, what are you doing? Because I'm in the kitchen with a mortar and pestle, like mm-hmm. breaking down these like rock elements and yeah. mixing all this stuff. And Resins he starts, and, yeah. yeah. He's doing it with me. And yeah, so that one was beautiful. I had to turn that into a paste and basically mortar and pestle for an hour. And then the ritual is from 1130 to 1230. So you cross over that threshold. And then there's, um, you know, you wait six days and then, you know, kind of goes with like the whole theory behind all that. But he just thought that was like, he had no idea what I was doing. And I was sort of explaining a little bit, but I didn't really need to. He just was so tapped in. And um, so that was a beautiful experience. I love, love it, it. Yeah. love it, love it. Um, let's talk about ways that listeners can maybe apply some of these principles into their mm-hmm. own, you know, even home gardens. Um, yeah. We're both talking about Allie and I getting ready to plant our fall gardens. Where do you start um, to yeah. apply some of this? Obviously, we'll link plenty of resources from you, yeah. but what are um, maybe three things that we can start with to apply some of these principles of biodynamic mm-hmm. farming? Yeah, that aren't yes. as, as far of a reach. I'm not sure right. every listener can get their hands on a cow horn, a cow per horn. se. <laughs> but you can tell us where to buy <laughs> right, them later. But yeah. <laughs> or, but, right, what kinds of things are the, the preliminary mm-hmm. things to implement? Yeah, well, I have two books in particular that we'll link to that are super easy to read. One of them is an almanac, which comes with this beautiful calendar that you can just stick up on the wall that tells you exactly every day of the year like when to do certain things um i would say the easiest way to get started is um leave room in your garden to grow some herbs Mm -hmm. even though you're you're probably not going to make your preps yourself at the beginning unless you're ready for that um but there's power in seeing how they're grown and just knowing their their roots and what they look like and when you plant them and when you harvest them is really going to help you connect because you will most likely purchase the preps already made and like I said they come in like a little bag and that's not going to mean much like the connection you mm-hmm. know isn't necessarily there but if you if you're getting a chamomile prep which is made in the um, intestinal lining of a cow it's like how they make sausage they mm-hmm. come, you know yeah. just like that Casing. And, <laughs> exactly so that's kind of a cool cool thing but if you grow chamomile and you drink chamomile tea and you feel how it is in your own body and then you can also then read like how that prep helps your garden stuff like that and then you see the parallels it helps you connect more so I would say growing herbs and then just reading some basic books and being open to the magic because I really do think you have to have 
that <laughs> faith in it as a as a modern as a modern person that you're going to just put these like such a small amount of you know liquid on your plants and then mm-hmm. amazing things are going to happen that's awesome. I, mm-hmm. I love that. Uh, ways that we can disconnect from the chaos and we think of, you know, artificial intelligence and EMF and all these things distracting yeah. us from these greater vibrational pulls or, you know, gravitational yeah. force or whatnot. Um, but I think that that kind of multiple exposure of plant helps you to communicate with the plants better Absolutely. in some sense, I'm sure as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Rudolf Steiner was, he saw that in the 1920s. I mean, that was a long time ago, right? Which I think we can look back and be like, wow, it wasn't even like that developed yet. And there wasn't a lot of pesticides yet. Right. But he was already seeing the destruction of farming. Yeah. And he was already predicting like issues like the year 2020, this would happen, this would happen. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's good stuff to pay attention to. Did you start Hamilton pool with all of these principles in mind or did you kind of slowly trickle them in kind of how Mm -hmm. did that evolve and was everyone on board? Was your husband like, um, you're crazy (laughs) because mine will be when I bring this calendar home and he's like, Oh, not only do I have to like put in the seeds, but I have to do specific things on specific days. How did that kind of evolve over Um, time? Gosh, it just, you know, this whole path for me, like even getting to the place of owning this farm was a good solid 10 years of manifesting Mm -hmm. to get Mm -hmm. to this point and getting things aligned but it's always just been a stepping stone you know I have a background in nutrition and teaching and um you know there was always like what it's everything like you learn something and then you're like okay yeah that that makes sense that's truth for me but then you're like but then there's this and it it's ever changing right yes and so that's how everything just kind of progressed but um in a nutshell we used to own sushi restaurants in California and when you buy fish, it's already heavily regulated in the sense that there's sustainability in check because you can't overfish things, which is beautiful. So, you know, the fish was good. Um, but to the vegetable side of things, like supporting the local farmer, organic farmer, doing things right down the road when you're mass producing food is really hard to do. Mm-hmm. Restaurants are quadruple taxed. And it just was the economics of that was super frustrating because my background is in like, I just cannot buy conventional. Yeah, like right, I don't want right. to support that Ethos system. And integrity first. Yep. Exactly. Revenue but we, later. But we have Hopefully. this business and you know, right. all these things. Yeah. And so, um, we ended up selling those restaurants and we moved here to Austin about six years ago. We sold the restaurants before. Um, and we were just looking for land to do like a legit farm to table mm-hmm. where it can be legit and mm-hmm. it can be more relaxed. And also, Sometimes you got to be a little careful about restaurants that say farm to table, you know, because yeah. that oh, is no a doubt. very trendy word. And what does that really mean? You know, there's there's just so much. So I wanted to create a space where it's education first, right? And they can literally go to the farm. They can ask all the questions of transparency. They can see it. Because how many people, their minds are blown when they see what certain things look like when they're grown, right? You know, no like doubt. an onion. An onion is gorgeous when it blooms and they because you just you see the you know the bulb um so I wanted to create that space and also um working like the health industry for so long one of the hardest things I think is um that connection between like coming back to nature but like living this modern world like I have this job in an office or whatever Daniel Vitalis has been like a huge mentor inspiration with his rewilding stuff Mm -hmm. that 
I've been listening to for quite some time. Artificial ecology, how he talks yeah. about. We were yeah. both like, oh, we're you're right. Artifact land. He was talking yeah. about, right, he was talking about, <laughs> you know, New York City and green spaces. And we were like, you're right. That's fake nature. That's the weirdest <laughs> thing to think about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, his work is amazing. And his, um, I think it's his mentor is a guy named Arthur Haynes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, just awesome people. Um, so I also want to create this space where like we can live our lives. Like we don't all have to like kind of go back. Like we don't all have to be like Danny Vitalis if we can't, you know what I right. mean? Cause I was trying, I was kind of getting to the point where I was like, Oh God, how am I going to convince my family that we need to go move up in the mountains away from, ev-? you know, right. just sometimes right. it can feel like that, even <laughs> though that wasn't going to happen. Yes. So let's create a space where people can be whatever they're doing, but balance, like reconnect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, um, we are looking for the property for that which took a really long time because either it wasn't farmable, yeah. it was not in the right place for a restaurant, so many things, or too expensive, you know, all those all those nuances. Our realtor ended up finding this beautiful vineyard that was 65 acres, that it was an existing vineyard that had been around for 20 years, so like the soil was good, it was farmable. Um, it was a mo- much more expensive project, so we took on some business partners, but um, and so, yeah, it ended up being land that came with a built-in business model. So it made, you know, you don't make a lot of money farming. So that was helpful. So that was kind of where it's going. So did my husband support the crazy ideas? Yes. <laughs> they have to at they some point, right? Yeah. And, you know, his, like, he does all the business side of mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, he stays there. It He does, he knows just through, like, me sharing. But mm-hmm. it is kind of funny, some of the things, you know. Um, he'll come to the farm and be like, what's that? And I'm just like, oh gosh, how do you not know what that is yet? <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, we make a good team in that That's regard. Good. Sometimes yeah. they don't need, we don't need yeah, that. Full, don't we just need that Venn everything. diagram, that overlap yeah. Yeah. little area. <laughs> uh-huh. And y'all took on the land in uh, 2019 or yeah, when was December that? December 31st, right. 2019. Yes. Yes. And got rolling with it. We did some remodeling. We have a vineyard house that we remodeled and our tasting room, the previous owner, had taken all of his um, winemaking equipment, so we had to do some things. And when we were officially ready to open, it was March 2020. Yep, the bad season. <laughs> time is ready to it was strike. like, why isn't anyone coming? Why are we having groups? No, it was, um, yeah, it was interesting, but it put a lot of attention on the farm. Yeah. Because grocery stores were weird. Mm-hmm. Everybody was going to the farmer's markets, going back to the farmer's, which was beautiful. Yes. But farmers were selling out of things like they just never had that demand before. And so, you know, we were getting a lot of attention. So we were like, okay, farm, let's go. And also our farm school. I was going to say, yeah, Mm -hmm. that's how we connected initially. Uh, You know, we still, um, I was really, as all listeners know, our perspective on the bad season and whatnot. And I was like, okay, luckily her Montessori, she was only, I think, out of school for two or three, maybe four weeks total. But I still was like, I want her also outside and engaging in nature mm-hmm. and looking for ways that she could um, connect with others and also me connect with like-minded mamas who weren't experiencing fear and wanted their yeah. kids to touch and connect and get dirty. Yeah. Um, and so that was an awesome experience. I believe that was the summer of 2020 when Stella was at the farm school. It's very mm-hmm. cool. Awesome. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit before we get too far down in that world about irrigation, kind of going back to farming practices. So, um, again, back in episode 307, um, is when we talked to Alan about soil and its importance. Uh, 
I'd love your perspective on how irrigation can destroy soil and weaken plants. Um, what are strategies and thoughts in setting up irrigation again for maybe a home garden and then how to scale that um, and what you're currently doing? Yeah. Yeah. I love that um, perspective of that irrigation can also do harm. Mm -hmm. Like obviously plants need water. And if you're going to grow here in Texas, you do need irrigation. We just Mm -hmm. don't get the consistent water. Um, so on our farm, we have a well and we draw from the well and we use drip irrigation and we have a little over an acre in cultivation, which isn't huge, but that's huge for a backyard. Mm -hmm. So we have, you know, a farm style irrigation. They're on different plots so that we can manage um, the different sections. So if some plants need more water than others, we're going to put them in certain spots. We can adjust the watering on all of that. Um, one thing that's really interesting though, about irrigation and well water, for example, which is what we draw from, um, when we activated that well, we were told it was going to pull 10 gallons per minute, which would be sufficient for what, what we have going. But once the summer of that year hit, it was only pulling a gallon a minute. So we thought the well was broken. We brought the guys down. We're like, what's happening? Turns out the aquifer is just running dry. Mm. And, um, and so we're like, okay, we're thinking of like, well, yeah, we've, it was a really wet summer. We're like, well, what's going on? Well, our head of the aquifer is actually in Oklahoma, something that we just don't really think about, like where the water's going, right. the head where it's going in. And so he also then told us like what's happening in Oklahoma is some mass development going on oh. that's all pulling from the same mm. aquifer. So we're way downstream, 300 feet below the surface. It's not quite reaching anymore. And so for us, we just happen to be so fortunate that we have a couple of the wells on the property that we could gravity feed. And those ones are deeper. So it's a different aquifer. So we were okay. If, um, if we weren't, we would have had the dug deeper and it's thousands of dollars, Mm -hmm. but you know, we have, um, people that live up the road that have, you know, old people on fixed income that have to choose between taking a shower, doing dishes because they're pulling a gallon a minute. So goodness. Yeah. So paying attention to water and water source is a big one. And Mm -hmm. so, um, if you, you know, if someone's going to buy some land and wants a bigger garden, definitely look into where you're getting your water source from. And like, maybe if you have to drill a well, just go deeper, Mm -hmm. go down 900 feet because the wells that are 300 feet just across the board are like Mm -hmm. not really pulling water anymore. So yeah, that's definitely something to think about. Yeah. When we were just looking at my 15 acres, there were actually two different aquifers that we were able to select from. So we had to do a lot of research and luckily I had done the farm tour with you prior. Yeah. <laughs> so so I was like, the question. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I was like Trinity oh, or Edwards. And right. like, you know, then we went through all the things and the oh. cost and, um, we ended up getting a lot more gallons per minute so far. So we're excited about yeah. that. Um, let's talk about you, the use of the drip and, um, you know, like setting timers and mm-hmm. how you would advise people to use that and kind of the importance of maybe drip irrigation and, and watering at the soil versus spraying and, yeah. and some of those elements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, we went with drip irrigation because, um, to use above ground irrigation, which would be like a sprinkler mm-hmm. of some sort, you're going to get a a wider coverage, um, but it's so hot here and we have a lot of winds, you're going to get a lot of wasted mm-hmm. water. So mm-hmm. that was just a huge thing. Plus you're, you're watering a lot of what you don't want, which is weeds. And, um, weeds are a big issue because we're growing in the ground. So <laughs> when we first started, we were like weed farmers, just trying to get mm-hmm. the weeds out of there. So we don't want the weeds to grow. So we went with drip. 
Um, the downside to drip irrigation is um, there's a lot of calcium buildup. You know, we have a mm -hmm. lot of the limestone, so you have to check them off and you have to flush them. Luckily, there's these really beautiful natural flushes that actually add fertilizer. Um, if your property is not extremely flat, you're not going to get even, you know, mm -hmm. even watering. They come out, the irrigation drips out and makes circles. Mm -hmm. And um, ideally, you want those circles to reach, to touch each other so that you have um, completely wet soil. But that's that's the biggest thing to consider. There's expense too um, when you're installing a garden at home. You know what type of irrigation to use. Um, above ground irrigation with like a sprinkler is easy to do when you're just got some garden beds in your backyard. Um, yeah, because those are going to probably just be in raised beds and not really watering anything else. You're going to get a better coverage. Okay. Mm -hmm. We did the whole drip thing. My husband is an engineer by oh, trade. Nice. And so he was like, I'm going to trench it and I'm going to mm -hmm. put it on. He's like this Bluetooth timer that we can yes. water everything. Yeah. And, and we only yeah. have three, four beds. So. That's that's great because then you <laughs> can go on vacation. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. Right? You, yeah. Yep. But I don't, know, I don't know if the circles overlap. I'm not sure. <laughs> I, need to, I need to check on that or if we're flushing anything. Yeah, but anything. I think you, you'll be okay there. So one of the questions you asked was like the downside to mm -hmm. over-irrigating, yes. right? Um, you know, there's so many metaphors in life of the garden, right? And one of the metaphors that I love, it's like raising your children. If you water your plants too much, it's like doing too much for your kids. Mm -hmm. So then when they have to be on their own yeah. and like deal with something harsh like weather, they're going to be a little like, I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And they're just going to, right? There's just no like, resilience. Ah, yeah. Exactly. And so when you're growing from seed or you put your baby plant in, you want to think about that too. You want to give them enough water to survive actually, you know, obviously, but you want their roots to go deep mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so they can figure out where do I go get the water. So it's, and what a beautiful way to connect with your garden. Cause you have to watch mm -hmm. like, how are the leaves looking? Does it need more water, less water? So, and that's a good way to establish your, if you put your irrigation on a timer, you know, you're like, okay. And they're going to need different water at different times right. too. A little baby one's going to need more. And how about as far as I'm thinking, what practice of farming is it where we would use like clay pot or permeable material and bury it in the ground so that mm -hmm. there's kind of some water, I guess, delivery deep yeah. in the soil and that the roots will go deeper versus stay superficial. Mm -hmm. Is that within just like a sustainable method or is there any yeah absolutely with that yeah i think there's a company here in dripping springs that makes those clay okay. pots right i'll have to remember the name of it um we were our farm is just too big to do something like that mm -hmm. but that's beautiful for like a backyard garden you're cool. just basically filling up a clay pot that's buried in mm -hmm. the soil that just slowly leaches it out and leaches it deep so the roots will reach down and then you're just watering that pot essentially yeah. Yeah. Right? or when it rains it fills up that pot it's like a little water catchment cool. within the garden system yeah, yeah there's all sorts of cool ways to catch water and i'll link uh for listeners we're starting off my uh garden project with eight beds um so tammy's growing all the starts for my plants because we're just getting the irrigation rocking um at my property but i will link also just for those that are kind of like middle scale what particular you know uh uh, different hoses I'm using and valves and things so that if y'all want to know exactly what I'm doing, I'll, I'll blog it and be linking that as well. All right. I'll hold you to that. Yeah. All right. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's talk about, um, a, a little bit more of like industrialized farming and in, in your perspective, um, the biggest things that threaten food security. Um, so I'd argue like tilling and fertilizer could be primary drivers of soil erosion and, and destruction. 
Um, what are two things that you see or, or big principles that you hold or you think that people still need to be educated on when we're yeah. talking about maintaining viability and, and resilience in our mm-hmm. home garden or in a farm space? Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing, two things to focus on now is soil, of course, and seeds. Okay. Mm-hmm. So obviously no tilling. That's, I love that that's becoming more like people have heard of that, you know, mm-hmm. before they're like, what do you mean no till? Mm-hmm. When we, when we, um, put installed our farm, we were doing everything by hand, which was just crazy. It took us a whole month to do something that a tractor could do. And I was really trying to put off a tractor for a while, but it was just like, I'm never going to be able to make this happen without one. But I needed to find the implements that wouldn't till. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going all around Texas to these tractor companies and they're just like, why do you want a harrow for what? They just, you know, <laughs> thought it was crazy. So we had to like piece these, all these different implements together. And I told the guy at the Kubota dealership, I was like, just wait in two years, you will have people coming in here begging mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. these implements. And you'll be like, oh yeah, there was this one lady in here. <laughs> that was another thing. He's just like, what's this lady know? Yeah. Um, okay. Like, California city slicker. Right? <laughs> and it's been two years. I should reach back out you to and follow up. Um, but yeah, so you don't till, um, when you till there's a, if you, if you kind of imagine like how a dog digs in the dirt, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's how the blades of a tiller work. And what happens is it completely disrupts the mm-hmm. the whole ecology, which is very tightly knit under there. I like to use the metaphor of like when you see an ant pile and, or like a beehive, like there's this symbiosis, like this huge network going on. And if you were to take a stick to an ant pile and disrupt it, they have to rebuild it. It's a scurry. It's chaotic. You know, it's going to take a really long time. And it's just going to mess up that rhythm. Well, that's what's happening when you till. But even worse is the gases get released. And so, um, you know, we can't see this with our eyes, but we can see it in the residual effects when you farm that way. So tilling is highly convenient because this machine can completely take out weeds. It can make this really fluffy soil, can do all these amazing things, but you're actually making more work for yourself. And that's what big agriculture, monocropping and all that uses tilling because you could just run a tractor through and chew everything up. What we do when we installed the farm, it was blank ground. It was just like, we removed some mesquite trees, which we, um, grind it up using a forestry mulcher so it just spit it out as mulch so we mm-hmm. recycled the tree and then we used a key lime plow which is just this big huge three prong plow that just ripped the bed so you can imagine a farm has the garden beds right so it just dug down in the soil enough to create it fluffy and then we brought in about six inches of compost that we laid on top planted our seeds and boom so we didn't really disrupt the whole system. And so we're constantly adding more organic matter through compost. We make our own compost. So basically like seeds know what to do. They're mm-hmm. already, they just know what to do. So we don't have to do anything with the seed except plant it in the right soil. So really we're, you know, we're soil farmers. We create the right environment and knows what to do. Um, so yeah, that's, that's just taking care of your soil is going to be what's going to be sustainable. If you don't, it's not going to be sustainable. Then you need to add all these other things. It becomes more expensive and it just keeps destroying, destroying. And I think we, we all know that what happens there, but seeds is a, is something that I think needs to be talked about a little bit more because it's really hard to get non hybridized seeds now. Mm -hmm. And this is something that goes along with food sovereignty. There's a lot of big seed companies, big names out there that are buying these all these little seed companies and um 
and if you it's harder to buy the open pollinated heirloom seeds and those are what you want because then you can collect your own seeds and you keep growing them when you buy the hybridized seeds they do some of them can produce seeds but they're not going to necessarily be sterile so you have to rebuy them mm-hmm. every season and then those companies that own the seed companies now control the food system right. so mm-hmm. it's a big issue yep. it's a super big issue so if you are going to buy seeds look into the company support the smaller seed companies that are selling open pollinated you want heirloom open pollinated they're um, synonymous with each other and are there one or two companies that are your favorites for listeners to know about yeah there's there's a lot the medicinal herbs i get from strictly medicinals um we do buy a lot of our vegetable seeds from johnny's but mm-hmm. we buy the open pollinated so johnny's is still um still a good a good source from that there's um baker heirloom seeds it's another company um what's another one i can link some more we kind okay. of have to float around because um, you know, really since everyone started becoming a homesteader with the, mm-hmm. <laughs> since right. 2020, um, that's been another issue with seeds too. You know, you have to get in there quick yeah. and then use your seeds. So and if you can save and use your and, own yes, seeds, that is save them. Yeah. ideal. Yeah. Um, once you kind of have your seeds selected or even going into that selection process, I guess, um, let's talk about strategizing the garden a little mm. bit, um, process of selecting different varietals and um, how you lay things out. Placement, right. We could use Allie's as an example if you guys have a a plan kind of in place. Like, how do we know who we put where? Right. (laughs) And I love seeing like motherwort and and different herbs Mm -hmm. at ends of beds. Like what's the kind of logic and thought process there? Do certain herbs, um, you know, fortify the soil in a certain way or mm-hmm. or is there a symbiotic water exchange of certain plants that would take up more water yeah. versus share yeah yeah absolutely so you've heard of companion planting mm-hmm. that's basically what that is <clears throat> and also rotating so there are plants that put things in the soil and there's things that take them out so there's heavy feeders light feeders and then there's um some that are like considered neutral so um something called cover crops, which are usually the legumes, you know, um, those are gonna put tons of nitrogen in the soil. And so those are putting stuff in. So after you grow those plants, you wanna follow up with things like brassicas, which are gonna be heavy feeders. And so you wouldn't wanna, in the same bed, plant brassica, brassica, because here you can pretty much grow those almost year round. Mm -hmm. So you wanna pay attention to rotational planting. Um, And it's really easy, there's so many great books, it makes it pretty easy to kind of figure that out. Um, but that's a good way to plan with how many beds you have and just kind of rotating them through. And is sweet potato or are sweet potato slips considered a cover crop or no? No, no, they're a get, well, they, t- they can be. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because they're so leafy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and they just, just completely of. cover. Yeah, right. absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I was like, I don't know. And the legume plants, are you actually harvesting those yeah. then? So okay. like beans and mm-hmm. peas. Yeah. yeah. So you're getting food mm-hmm. and they're, yeah. And they're also putting stuff back in. Awesome. And how about herbs then? How do we incorporate <clears throat> herbs? Because I've always thought of like, you know, a part of my garden is the herb <laughs> section. Right. <laughs> but I like this idea of like intermingling them. Mm-hmm. Um, All right. And so actually, kind of I think there. before we get into that, let's take a quick moment and hear from today's mid-roll sponsor, Wild Foods. 
So we just got reconnected recently with wildfoods.co and they are another Austin-based company that just like us believes that real food is medicine. Wild Foods puts quality, sustainability, and health first in all of their products. And they have your favorite pantry staples, everything from coffee to turmeric to medicinal mushrooms. Every single product is painstakingly sourced from small farms around the globe and they take their mission seriously to fix the broken food system and they've partnered with us to provide an exclusive discount when you use Allie Miller RD you save 12% off your order some of the things you would see in my household from wild foods is their wild vanilla which is carefully selected hand harvested whole vanilla beans this is a great way to use these dried Uh, true whole vanilla beans instead of a vanilla extract that has alcohol for instance I love pinching this into smoothies or into some grass-fed yogurt to really create that nice warming flavor profile and vanilla can serve as a aphrodisiac so a great thing to add at the end of the day I also love using their wild cacao butter wafers in my fat-fueled coffee so this is the fat from cocoa and this is what you would see used and you can also use in like DIY skincare, um, creams, lotions, uh, lip balm. Um, It's a great moisturizer, but also cacao butter is a very heat stable fat, um, also very nutrient dense and a great add into a fat field coffee, especially if you're dairy free. So using like the wild cacao butter wafers with a couple teaspoons of organic coconut oil and um, some peppermint extract would be a great way to make a mocha, if you will. Um, you will get a little bit of a mild chocolate flavor in the cocoa butter wafers and you could even add some cacao powder. Or if you wanted to elevate things next level, you could use Wild Foods Cocotropics. Uh, Their Cocotropics are a nootropic blend of medicinal mushrooms and anti-inflammatory compounds. So you're getting wild cacao powder, reishi mushroom extract, raw maca, chaga mushroom extract, and turmeric powder. And this sips like a brain-boosting hot cocoa. You could also add it into your coffee to help to kind of offset the jitters. Uh, This is a fabulous elixir, especially as we get into the colder months and seasons that you can sip on like a hot cocoa with maybe uh, coconut milk or heavy cream. And then when you're talking about warming beverages, I also love all of their teas. They have uh, various teas. Their coconut chai is fabulous with red rooibos, cinnamon, ginger, coconut flakes, cloves, safflower, and crushed chili. Um, They have a fabulous immune-boosting tea. They have a great matcha. It's the matcha that I use regularly. They're wild matcha, stone ground from green tea leaves, and it's ceremonial grade. So you're getting, you know, higher amounts of that L-theanine and the EGCG, the antioxidant that we see in green tea, um, equal to 10 glasses of brewed green tea in just a teaspoon of the wild matcha. So go on over to wildfoods.co. Use the code AllieMillerRD. Check out all of my favorites, and for a limited period of time, orders that you people that order and use the code Allie Miller RD will also get a free bottle of their turmeric ginger extract something great to use during the season um, to help with a cough also a great anti-inflammatory great add into your superfood smoothie wildfoods.co use the code Allie Miller RD and you'll save $12 off of your order yeah so really 
whenever we're growing food, you want to mimic nature. So if you just go look outside in nature, there's never just like the herbs, you know, it's not separated. Um, it's really beautiful that you can see like an oak tree and under the oak tree is going to be the understory. There's going to be like some sort of shrub and under that shrub is going to be a smaller shrub and under there is going to be this. And it just kind of keeps going and they, they just work together kind of recycling. So here, if you have garden beds, you know, we're kind of manipulating a little bit, right? And then we're planting what we want, but you want to create that biodiversity as much as possible. And the medicinal herbs are perfect because First of all, they're ancient plants. They've been around a lot of them before the dinosaurs. And so there's wisdom in that. They've, mm-hmm. And these are these are the children's seeds. You know, they've that many years they've been around. So they just kind of know how to deal with the soil. But a lot of them are aromatic. So they're going to be natural bug repellent. So that's mm-hmm. going to help with bug issues. Um, they're going to provide different types of shade. They're going to just attract different things and their, their root structure is going to help. Like, um, some of them have shallow roots, some have deeper, so that's going to help water get to other things. But yeah, the more you want to plant together, there used to be kind of this saying, like, you don't want to crowd too much. You know, there's Mm -hmm. spacing, like how, how far apart do I put plants growing vegetables? Yes. You don't want to put cabbages six inches from each Mm -hmm. other. You know, there is some logic to that. But you can space your cabbages, you know, 18 inches apart, which you're supposed to do, but you can also like put around it some, some lower growing herbs to help with, you know, you want your soil covered and you want as much diversity as possible. And the herbs are perfect for that. And it just looks beautiful. Love it. And let's talk about maybe some selection before we get into like nerdy herbal medicine per se, uh, beyond things like rosemary and basil and cilantro and maybe thyme and mint, you know, like kind of the common culinary herbs that people might be growing. What would be some herbs that people would want to consider that have more of that natural bug repellent or some of these properties? Like, are we talking Mm -hmm. lemon balm or what, what things Mm -hmm. kind of come to mind or three or four herbs that listeners should think about maybe purchasing or planting in the next garden season? Yeah. Well, within the mint family, there's so many amazing herbs. Like you mentioned lemon balm, lemon balm is in the mint family, Mm -hmm. but it's just got a whole different medicinal load than mint itself. Motherwort is in the mint family. So the, and mints are really easy to grow here. Mm -hmm. So there's just a ton catnip. Um, those are all super great. Um, nettles, nettles Mm -hmm. is my favorite and nettles is going to be, um, it's so nutrient dense for our body, but it's also so nutrient dense for the soil. So that's mm-hmm. going to put a lot of stuff in. So that would be a great one to plant with the heavy feeders. Okay. Yeah. And it's food. You can eat nettles. A lot yeah. of these, these herbs are food. Love it. Um, and once a plant has passed, are you, cause I'm thinking of like, you know, so Becky, myself, people that are doing raised beds and especially for listeners that are in more of an urban environment where they probably maybe don't even want to get into what's in the soil around their area because right. of industrialized chemicals and yep. such. Um, you know, essentially they're starting with a completely tilled, if you will, garden because they're mm-hmm. filling it with soil and it's an abrupt process. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're using geo growers myself and I'll link them for anyone that's in the greater area. Um, there are good soil companies out there that maintain good ecology, good diversity and whatnot. But once you have your, your built bed established and it's filled with your soil, um, we're thinking of then kind of creating this ecosystem and disrupting as least as possible once that box is filled Mm -hmm. um, or what's kind of the thought process on that level and then as we harvest our plants are you of the mindset of like take your tomato leaves and put them back into the earth or put them into your composter and let them degrade that way and then Mm -hmm. put them back in um kind of how do we work on a small scale in that sense you do both (laughs) okay so you do something called chop is drop you 
chop and drop. You never just want to rip the roots out because that's what's that's a form of tilling, right? It's going to mm-hmm. disrupt. Um, but something like a tomato plant that's really big and bushy, mm-hmm. you chop and drop that, you just have this scraggly mess. Um, mm-hmm. So that one you would chop right where you know the the root or the stem is meeting the soil. So you're leaving the roots intact. And then I would like compost that because it's just huge. Mm-hmm. But um, smaller plants, you can just kind of chop and let it cover the soil. And then when it's time to plant the next season or, or the succession, you just plant around that, around what's already in the ground mm-hmm. so that you're not pulling anything up. So you keep your soil intact. But another um, <clears throat> great kind of amendment are learning about the mycorrhizae, mm-hmm. you know, the whole mycelium network. There's um, there's a product called mycorrhizae, and it's a water-soluble mm-hmm. little grain thing that is perfect every time you plant a transplant. You know, you dig your little hole, sprinkle some in there, mm-hmm. because that's gonna com- that's the internet of the soil, right? It's gonna help that communication. So that plant who's new is going to have a better communication system with the other plants already there, and they're just gonna be able to talk. Love it. Yeah. Super, super cool. Lots to, <laughs> lots to think about with fall mm-hmm. coming around the corner or by the time this airs. Yeah, already. It's, it's Thanksgiving. <laughs> it's Thanksgiving. It's actually the we've, week we've of Thanksgiving as, as we're talking. Um, yeah, right? We've harvested all of our beautiful squash crops. happening. <laughs> Hopefully. Um, let's dig into the herbal stuff a little bit more. So I want to dig into um, your background in herbalism and um, obviously at the retreat. And I talked about this on one of our pregnancy podcasts that we did, um, drinking the nettles. Um, mm-hmm. like my midwife had told me to do it and then I saw you do it and I was like, Oh, it's really easy. And I've yeah. done it like every week, as yeah. long as I'm home, I'm drinking nettles at least mm-hmm. every day. Um, but let's talk about, um, how you got into herbalism and, and also maybe about some of the like nourishing nutritive mm-hmm. tonics that you make and you have this beautiful jar of mm-hmm. I'm assuming something wonderful infused um mm-hmm. what are your favorite herbs for actually doing infusions and and how did that all come about yeah oh gosh herbalism um you know I became a mom earlier than you know the whole plan I was 23 when I had my first child and um that really awakens you to a lot of things I mean that was a long time ago so I just kind of looked out in the world and I was like really this is what I'm you know like mm-hmm. what do I do mm-hmm. how to navigate and then I mean 20 years ago there wasn't a lot of the information that's available now so I had to like seek it because a lot of the stuff I was reading that was mainstream about how to nourish a child how to nourish your body it just seemed so wrong mm-hmm. um and there was always something like I would learn something I'd be like okay that makes sense let's try that Um, and then I would go supplement and all these things, but there was always like this missing piece. And Mm -hmm. really what started to connect it for me is I just love to go out in nature and I grew up in San Diego. So San Diego is actually an arid desert. So it's nature. There's, you know, it's, it's a desert. So you don't really just walk outside and start eating everything like you can in other places. But I, I yearn for that. Like I would look for the mentors to teach me that. And I went on this herbal walk a long time ago and just was like mind blown and just immediately was downloaded with the connection of like, I already know this. This is how you take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, it's nourishment, it's medicine, it's all these things. So just started finding books where I can't, I could back then. It was, um, there weren't as many great ones and it seemed like very overwhelming for sure. But it just made sense when little things like little ear infections and um, I remember my first baby had eczema and the only remedy was was like a steroid cream. Mm -hmm. It's like, this cannot be the thing. Mm like plants. Oh, look at that. Plants can help. Um, so that's really where it started. And it was when we moved here to, 
um, to Austin that I took an in-person class with the wildflower school. There's um, several herb schools here now that are amazing. And then just herb schools online, reading mm-hmm. a lot of books. And it's just, um, there's a huge like movement around it now. Like people are starting to pay attention. Um, but with a background in nutrition, herbs started to become like kind of that, that full circle link. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt like I had all the info about like how to go as nutrient dense as possible and then growing it right because it, your food's only as healthy as the soil it's grown in, like right. all of that. And then here comes these nourishing herbs, which is under the wise woman tradition of herbalism, which is just a beautiful, that's been my practice. I just love it. Um, and basically what, what a nourishing herbal infusion is, is they are the nutrient dense herbs that you, um, infuse, you put about an ounce. So it's a lot of the dried plant in a Mason jar and you fill it with boiling water and you let it infuse anywhere from four hours to overnight, strain it, and then just drink it all day long. And you are just getting like, it's like having a liquid supplement all day Mm -hmm. long Mm -hmm. and it's delicious and it's just doing all kinds of amazing things. And I rotate between five different ones, and they are nettles, oat straw, linden leaf, um, red clover, and comfrey. There's there's many others. There are kind of some rules with what plants can become infusions. Like you wouldn't want to take your aromatic herbs like mint, mm-hmm. put a whole ounce of it, and then drink. It's just too strong. Yeah, mm-hmm. like it's just too much. Like you wouldn't even be able to do it. Your it would just be too strong. A sprig of mint in there, it's, like yeah. after you've yeah. done your infusion, is nice. Right. Exactly, because <laughs> mint's delicious. And yes. like comfrey infusion is um, not my favorite in terms of taste. It's got a sliminess to it, and so I do add a little mint. Mm-hmm. You know, just like a little bit to give it that yummy flavor. So you can add things to make it taste better. But they all kind of do different things, but it's giving you the full cycle of nourishment. You're getting proteins, you're getting fats, you're getting phytoestrogens, you're getting all the blood cleansing properties going on. Um, Like red clover is um, used heavily as a cover crop because it it puts so much back in the soil. It's doing that in your body too. And that one's great for women's support, like all of our, our health and stuff like that. So... And they're delicious. I just always walk around with this mason jar and I've got these cute little elephant rags to keep it from condensating all over the place. And and I really like whenever I have to just drink water, like if I forget my tea or something, it's kind of like, oh, it's so boring. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and then there's something to be said about that, like uh, going back to our electrolyte podcast, Mm -hmm. which was a couple months back uh, when we were talking about that intracellular versus extracellular fluid and how hydration is just totally different when we have a solute uh, because that doesn't drain from that intracellular pool. Um, And so when you're consuming an herbal infusion, you're going to be creating those nice plump grapes of your cells versus those shriveled raisins. Because if you overhydrate, kind of like over irrigating and back in that kind of analogy, if you're overhydrating your body with especially reverse osmosis or distilled water that's quite stripped, then that's going to actually take from your body versus give to your body, which is a thing to consider. Yeah. And this is whole plant, right? Mm -hmm. So there's something to be said about that with carrying that, Mm -hmm. keeping the hydration into your cells and there's carbon associated with it. And yeah, I, I use as the best water that I can, you know, spring water. There's a whole ritual around it. That's really simple, but I think, um, Rituals are super helpful for any path of just yes. being healthier. <clears throat> and so my ritual is just really like it after dinner when it's cleanup time, I'm boiling some water, some mm-hmm. spring water, doing the dishes. And then I weigh out my herbs and I have 
two jars at a time because I, I make it every every other day. I pour the boiling water over the herbs and I have this like wooden chopstick and then I, I rotate it and make a spiral vortex so that they all get submerged in the water. And it's just that simple act of just taking, mm-hmm. you know, that 10 seconds and then I go the other way. And then I lit it up and I put it in this one area in the kitchen. I have like this really pretty cloth that it sits on and that's it. And then in the morning, it's like the first thing I do is I start, I strain one of them. Then I go start making the coffee or whatever I'm going to have that morning. And then I strain the other one and it's simple. And it's how I got the kids on board, you know, cause sometimes tea's tough for kids mm-hmm. if they're, you know, not, not used to it. Um, but I think it's just, they watch this really simple ritual that just makes it look like amazing mm-hmm. and they'll just drink mine all day. If I give them their own, it's just not the same, right? Mm-hmm. They want to drink from mine because <laughs> of that, that ritual, right? Like, this doesn't look that special, but to them it does because they saw what I did. It's just something I do, you mm-hmm. know, that they're just like, I want to be a part of that. Yeah, and there's that, uh, mindfulness and intention and purpose yeah. that goes into it too, which in itself is, is healing and medicinal and yeah. that even kind of trends into that, uh, restructuring of water with mm-hmm. intention and purpose and yeah. looking at that. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Um, let's circle back uh, a couple more questions before we let you go. I want to talk pests in the garden. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, well, actually, let's talk pollinators first. So we talked mm-hmm. about open pollinated seeds. Mm-hmm. Um, and so kind of let's explain what that means a little bit further. And then I think also there's a big buzz now of like, people wanting pollinators and so there's movements of urban beekeepers I plan to have bees on my um, garden area and um, you know there's all of that will drive by Wimberley Gardens and see what types of bugs they have for sale now Um, so like what are beneficial pollinators what role does that play and then how do you feel about like my last Austin Gardens um, I forget what it was but we were you know using um, like the plant itself to, to open pollinate like itself like or Q-tips, Q-tips you yeah. know yeah. with zucchini or squash out. I yeah. think squash blossoms yeah. or something yeah. right yeah uh, so let's just kind of talk about that process and, sure. and kind of how nature supports and provides things yeah. to consider and tools and then where we could go wrong mm-hmm. okay so op- open pollinated means that um, it it's has been hybridized and it means that it needs pollination for it to procreate so that's obviously what how nature does things. When we buy hybridized seeds, it means that you're going to have to get the Q-tip, and you know it, it has different pollination, so that therefore you can't save its seeds, right? Because its offspring is now sterile because mm-hmm. it didn't use nature in that cycle. So yeah, open pollinated, and then you want the pollinators. So this is another reason why planting those herbs and letting them go to flower. Mm-hmm. A lot of the medicinal herbs you want the flower anyways. That's where the medicine is, and those attract the pollinators. Putting flowers. Um, those are what you can shove in there, like on the shoulders, so to speak, of the vegetables that you're growing. Um, it just makes it beautiful and attracts pollinators. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and that's that's what's going to help your garden. Without the pollinators, your garden's just not going to look as happy. And um, it supports the ecosystem. And beyond yeah. bees, what pollinators are out there? Oh gosh, there's anything that flies as a okay. pollinator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you, there's so many native bees, a ton of bees, just butterflies of course Mm -hmm. ladybugs yeah yeah love it awesome and then let's transition to talking pests so Mm -hmm. uh i had way too much cayenne being used in my last garden (laughs) we had squirrels which were the worst you know when you're in a city squirrels are just really difficult and they holes yes yes they are (laughs) and they want it's funny dan who's advising me on my orchard uh he was just on my property last week and he's like Allie. 
I had five beautiful peaches and I would gaze at them. I would talk to them. I would have tea with them. He did not have um, nets around his mm. peach trees. And so he said, all of a sudden, he's like, mm. the next morning, I'd, I told my peaches I was going to come harvest them the next day. Oh and he's like, I think those freaking birds heard me <laughs> or someone. He yeah. goes, because he goes, I shouldn't have said it out loud because I'm not kidding you. I went out and he's like, and not one, all five yeah. were completely just pits. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's hard in the world of like rodents and mm-hmm. birds, yeah. but then also pests as insects. Yeah. Um, so let's kind of just talk about uh, what are some natural tools other than, it's funny, I was teased that Brady, when he was farming in Washington, was more of a slug hunter than a farmer yeah. um, because the slugs leave that mucilage <laughs> and that destroys so much plant matter that they would literally just hang out and just pick slugs. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. So so I know that we can do that with like yeah. boar beetles and yeah, such. Byron and was my net. caterpillar guy this past winter. Yeah. <laughs> like, you would go out every yeah, day. Yeah, like, but let's okay. just kind of talk about some some techniques and what's best. Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, the you know the squirrels and deer. If you don't have yes. your prop, the deer will wait. Talk about. I always say, I like those jerk deers. Mm-hmm. They'll yes. wait to the perfect time, and they they just know. Uh-huh. So if most gardeners will experience that at some point, losing their crop to, to nature, and it's super frustrating because mm-hmm. you wait a long time but learn from it. Be like, okay, now I know when to harvest mm-hmm. or now I know how to protect all those things. Um, bugs. So it's really easy to save your crops from deer and from squirrels by using fences and nets, you know, yes. raised beds. You can put the little hoops with like, um, chicken wire mm-hmm. or different things. There's a lot of great things out there, which here in Texas is helpful too, because you can put shade cloth over it mm-hmm. when it's like blazing and then the frost cloth in the winter yep. when we get all this crazy So freezes. do you recommend right away in a uh, built kind of, you know, standard eight by four box, um, just putting like PVC posts up so that you have mm-hmm. that accessible yeah. to throw something over at times? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That way when your plants start, especially in the winter, you know, you've got these tall plants, you want this hoop over it so that you can just drape the cloth over and it's not going to smash your plants. And with all this um, snow and stuff that we got in the recent past, like that's heavy. That'll come mm-hmm. down. So mm-hmm. the, if you have these hoops with the frost cloth, basically what happens with the freezes is it creates an igloo situation. It stays warm under there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but those will help with those critters. Bugs are always still going to find a way in. By creating as much diversity as possible, that's the number one way to keep it down. Those um, smelly herbs, you know, the like the mints and stuff like that, that's a repellent, so a lot of those, and you can't ever go wrong with a lot of mints. But um, the, the bugs are gonna tell you a lot about the balance of your garden. Mm-hmm. And so you'll have to do some research on some bugs for sure. The first thing will be like, what bug is this? And you'll have <laughs> to look it up. There's some cool apps now, you can take a picture and it tells you but they will let you know the imbalance. And then you just, okay, how can nature bring it back? So we all know if you have aphids issue, you bring in the ladybugs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I love that the store down the road here sells mm-hmm. the, we call them the assassin bugs that come in. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, you know, if you have chickens, chickens are super, super helpful in a garden as well. Um, they'll come and eat some of the bugs, but they'll also eat your, right. <laughs> eat your stuff too. Yeah. So open salad bar during yeah. certain hours. Yeah. Get out ladies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you have the little chicks, those are a little easier. You just let them run in there for a little <laughs> bit and do their thing. But yeah, it's a beautiful way to connect. So it's bugs are frustrating, but they, they help you connect and they, and sometimes it's just, you have an imbalance in your soil mm-hmm. and that's, what's going to bring them. Um, 
bugs love the brassicas. Mm-hmm. Sometimes yes. it's so hard to grow kale. It's mm-hmm. like, why do they love the brassicas? Well, the reason why is because there's a lot of stinky bugs here in Texas. The sulfur in the brassicas mm. is what they, they eat the sap so they can create their stink oh, for protection. Yeah. So it's just kind of the nature of the land here. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, that's saying something. But um, like squash, the squash beetles, they lay their eggs on the underside of mm-hmm. the squash leaves. And those are so hard to get. I mean, you could put ducks and chickens, but they're not going to go up and under, right? So sometimes you become the predator. Mm-hmm. When that happened at our farm, luckily we had our little farm students to help us. So we had like, you know, all these little hands, but we just wrapped tape, like painter's tape around our hand. And so it's nice and sticky uh-huh. and you literally just pull it off. Oh, I like that. Brilliant. So it was a labor of love, but that's the only way to get it off mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. otherwise you have to spray something to kill right. it. And we've tried more natural things like some so, but it just, it ruins the integrity of the plant. So sure. you just take them off and then put that in soapy water and, and you become the predator. Um, another amazing thing to look into is compost tea. Mm-hmm. And um, there's DIY kits for that, all the way up to already buying a system, depending on your your budget and your comfort level with that. But compost tea is basically, in a nutshell, just using compost. You're making a giant vat of tea using compost, molasses for the sugar, and, mm-hmm. a, and a few other things in there. There's a bunch of different recipes. And you're just watering your plants with that from time to time. And what that's doing is it's a probiotic for your plants. It's Mm -hmm. building their immune system. So when the bugs come and nibble, the plant's just like, whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like when we catch a bug. Right. How strong is our immune system, right? And um, yeah, compost tea is a really easy way to just make a really robust garden. And a backyard garden can do gardener can do that very easily. And you can add kombu and seaweeds to yeah. that as well mm-hmm. yeah, to add mineral great. mineralization. Fish emulsion. Yeah, yes. yeah. It's a lot of that. Mm-hmm. What about uh, if we're talking about planting herbs? What about the use of like a hydrosol or I would think an essential oil might be too concentrated, but not mm-hmm. sure. Are there certain times of season where one would want to consider that, or if they're seeing a big pest invasion, or is that just going to destroy the plant? Um, I've never I've never used it. it um, I've never used essential oils for mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, compost tea and a lot of the biodynamic preps are just going to okay. be enough. Mm-hmm. And the great thing about that is so much more sustainable because essential oils, there's a lot of plant in that sure. little oil. And yeah, it's probably going to be too strong for the plants mm-hmm. because like I was saying earlier about these biodynamic preps, it's so, I mean, it's like, it's less than the size of your hand, like a third of your hand that makes a huge five gallon. For an acre. Bucket. Yeah, for an acre. <laughs> so yeah, you don't need a lot. Awesome. All right, taking notes. <laughs> um, do we want to talk farm school? Yeah, stuff? yeah. let's talk a little um, bit about that. So um, as I mentioned, that's where we first connected with Stella participating in the farm school at Hamilton Pool Farm. Let's talk about your work there and the mission there and then the offerings that you guys have available for anyone that's in the local regional area. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, again, I was talking about like the intention of our property. It was always supposed to be a living classroom and, um, and it was my inner little girl that I was talking about, like, if I could go to school, what kind of school would I want, you know? So like, let's create it. But, um, you know, just in my background nutrition too, it's, it's, without the education, how do you make the change? How do you know? Right. Mm-hmm. And so that was the foundation of it. And, um, it, our farm school is a connection between food source, growing food, but also nature skills because they go together. Like I was just talking about the bugs. Um, that's how, you know, and that's what we teach. And often the kids, 
you know, they help troubleshoot with us. Like we already know the solution, but they just know it too. Like it's that remembrance is still there. And it's just really beautiful to see what they come up with. And they're so engaged and they'll eat away at the farm like crazy, you know, little three-year-olds like can't get enough of lettuce. They just mm-hmm. <laughs> chomping from the plant. Dinosaurs. Yeah. 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 And then their parents will buy some like, oh, great. They're eating lettuce. But then they take it home. Parent puts it on a plate like a salad. Kid wants nothing to do with it. <laughs> so it's the connection out of the ground. I mean, that's always, you know, yeah. kids are just more tuned in, mm-hmm. tapped in there. So definitely the benefits of growing a garden with your kids. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, farm school was, um, created for that reason to connect all of that and to this next generation to be connected. I think our generation is having to unlearn so much Yes, and then learn it like unlearn and then learn. And there's a lot going on there. And so it, and we're going against the grain in so many ways. There's all these rabbit holes that go down, you know, and it's beautiful and it's fun and it's exciting to be on that path that we're making big change but to create a place where kids can come experience it in um in a way that it's just like oh yeah of course this is how it is love it amazing um tell us where listeners can find out more about you your work um buying wine from hamilton pool um if they're local or um the csa if there's Mm -hmm. any openings i know y'all were on quite a wait list for a while there yeah and then also yeah social handles and websites which we'll link but just to mention yeah so our property is hamilton pool vineyards and farms um hamilton pool farms we have our own that's our handle our own social media and our own website just because there's a lot going on (laughs) between the two so if you want to learn about our vegetables we also have um, meats and cheeses and eggs and stuff now Um, that's all on Hamilton Pool Farms and our farm schools there we also offer adult classes we teach them how to garden how to grow seasonally like what do you do in the winter what do you do each season and I'm getting ready to launch an herb school that'll start in September so you can Yeah, that one's going to be super cool because um, it's going to be on the farm. I'm going to teach you how to grow everything. So you're going to, the full shebang, rather than just dealing with dried herbs and not having that full connection. Um, So Hamilton Pool Farms is where you can get that information, and it'll link you to our vineyard as well. But if you go to Hamilton Pool Vineyards and Farms, that's where you can buy our wine. We have a vineyard house. Um, You can book weddings and events and, and all that good stuff. We'll probably be out there for the uh, um, Halloween oh, shebang yeah. again. Yeah. So much yeah. fun. Listeners want to come hang out. Our fall so festival will all be in costume. Year, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'll be yeah. Steli won the, or whatever her age well, bracket you was. because I was the loudest. loudest you were the loud one. Yes. I remember that. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Love it. I'll always do that for her. <laughs> Good. Count on it, Becky. Yeah. Good woo. The woo girl squad. I love it. Awesome, Tammy. This has been a great conversation. Um, before we let you go, we always ask all of our guests uh, what their 24-hour recall was. So yesterday was Sunday, if that helps. Uh, just from when you woke up to when you went to bed, what'd you put in your mouth? Mm. I know it's also um, a memory practice. Yeah. Let's see. <laughs> well, it actually was a beautiful day yesterday because I had a an event at the farm with just a few women. We do a um, we have a medicinal herb labyrinth at the farm and we do like shamanic journeying together. So my morning was very intentional and sacred with the herbs that I drank and um, I drink fatty coffee, mm-hmm. put butter and collagen and I put um, adaptogen herbs in there and have a whole ritual around that. Um, let's see what Breakfast, I had eggs from the farm with a piece of sourdough and lots of butter on it. That was my breakfast. And um, yeah, drank a lot of tea 
at the farm, um, it, it was kind of like a potluck too. So everyone brought stuff either that they're growing. So that was really yummy. I think I had like, um, just a lot of fruit and some vegetables. And then for dinner, um, we had a big back to school dinner that my husband actually cooked while I was doing the farm thing. So we had steak fajitas, lots of veggies and guacamole and he cooked bone marrow. Mm-hmm. And so that was really fun. And then it, we all were kind of a little like, eh, I need something else. So we took the bone marrow out and then put it back in the skillet with a bunch of ghee and mm-hmm. a ton of garlic and just made this amazing dip that we yes. did crackers. It was so good. <laughs> yeah, that was, um, oh, and I make almost every single day cause I'm obsessed with it, but I make a cacao elixir. Okay. That's what I have. Like um, a sipping cacao. Yeah. yeah. It's like, um, yeah, I sip it for a long period of time. It's so decadent. It's like a dessert, you know, that just is putting so much nutrients in and it's, um, yeah, it just feels really good. So I have that as well. Love it. Well, maybe we'll link your cacao elixir recipe for listeners. (laughs) Okay. Sounds good. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I'm sure everyone's going to love the episode. We'll put the resource books as well as seeds and some of the irrigation tools and all the things. So make sure y'all go on over to wherever you're listening, whether it is Spotify or Apple iTunes, or um, you're listening through our podcast website, Naturally Nourished rd.com um going over to the show notes and that's where we'll have all of those resources linked including how you can connect further with tammy and all of the good stuff that she's doing at hamilton pool farms thank Thank you for being on thank you thank you for listening to the naturally nourished podcast visit our blog at allymillerrd.com for recipes wellness tips and food as medicine meal plans Connect with Allie and Becky at Allie Miller RD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.